1: Hello, friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a special guest. His name is Kurt Kristenik. I have respected Kurt for 27 years, so it's an honor to have him. He's vice president of Buffalo Floors. He's been with the company for 20 plus years. He's also director of Rake City Baseball, which is a an organization he started from scratch in 2017. He also has some other small businesses. He's a very busy man because I feel like I caught some podcast gold here with Kurt. <laughs> I'm going to make this very brief. I don't want to add unnecessary blemishes that might turn into a rambling because we just had a big Astros victory that pulled us within 3-2. to two. We're headed back to Hustletown to try to see if we can't close this sucker out. So, you know, when you're when you're in a good mood, you tend to ramble. I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to be brief. So, in this episode, I tell stories of my earliest memories of Kurt of walking down the hall at the massive Texas 5A high school we attended and seeing him donning his letterman's jacket with more patches than discount tire applies on a Thursday afternoon. I mean, he hit almost 500 as a senior in high school, and he had his prowess on the gridiron. So patches were deserved. They looked good on him. Hell, I'd have been wearing it to 90-degree weather or not. <laughs> but that was Kurt. He looked like Johnny Quarterback. The guy was built like a brick shit house, which incidentally, I don't know if you've looked this word up, but some of these words we've been using for 20 years before we had Google, they've never been properly vetted. And a lot of them, I don't know where they come from. So the other day, I found myself Googling brick house," and the first thing that comes up is the Urban Dictionary definition. So I guess it originated across the pond, not stateside. Nevertheless, here's what it says. A brick house is a very big person, normally male, who is as broad as he is tall, yet carries lo- very little fat. <laughs> Not the sort of person you would willingly upset. It goes on to say, The term comes from the large brick built outside toilets once common in working class areas of the UK. <laughs> Anyway, my earliest memory of Kurt is wearing his decorated letterman's jacket in no less than 90 degree weather, but I promise you I was not dumb enough to take the piss, which poaches yet another idiom of the United Kingdom. This episode, as I said, I don't want to give much of it away. What you need to know is Kurt Kristenik is somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. He's the man you'd want to hand your son to and say, If it can't be me, please, Lord, let it be someone like you. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got a beautiful life. Thriving family, flooring business, a side hustle that enables him to impact young lives, young baseball players' lives in what has almost always been a stacked Cypress, Texas area. They just produce top two-seam talent. I don't know how they do it, but... I threw that two-seam word in as a shout out to his new business venture. So Kurt and a mutual friend of ours, Brent Brooks, who pitched at Texas Tech, they started two, this two-seam hat company. And I tell you what, as a favor to you guys, or as a favor to these guys, I'm going to do a little giveaway. If you leave a a review on Apple Podcast after hearing this episode, I don't ask for much. But if you if you visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review saying how much you enjoyed the episode or or that you hated it. Either way, just give honest feedback. I will send the first two people who do that one of these sharp-looking hats in the mail. And Let's be honest, everybody likes getting something in the mail. A handwritten note is number one. Don't you love getting a handwritten note in the mail? But a close second would be a nice little package addressed to you with a random gift in it. In the middle of November, who gets gifts in November prior to the Christmas season? Nobody. They're always for somebody else. Well, this hat would be for you. Well, maybe not. Ladies, maybe you get one for your man. Or fellas, hey, maybe you haven't gotten a random gift for your little boo in a while, and it's time. I think a girl looks great in a hat. I've always thought so. But I've got one of those lefty two-seamers. So Kurt and Brent, they've, they've made these hats that are specific for lefties. And lefties make up 13% of the population. That's Bill Clinton, that's me, my dad, I'm sure a few others. <laughs> but they look sharp, and um, I like to know who's listening. The only way I get to know who's listening is when people tell me, or they send me a message, a DM, or an email, or they leave a review. And so if you leave a review, I'll know you're listening. And as my buddy Jurgen in Nuremberg, Germany always says, Brad, you always put a smile upon my face. Well, knowing you're out there tuning in, that puts a smile upon my face. And so I'm going to give away a few hats to find out who you are, who's out there listening. And I really would appreciate it. And I'm going to enjoy giving out those hats. So, now you know me, I'm not going to say without further ado, I'm just going to bring on Mr. Kurt Christenik. Please enjoy our chat. Kurt, I have wanted to get you on the podcast for a long time. Thank you for coming here, buddy. I am extremely excited uh to now
0: be part of the deal that i usually just listen to when i'm driving or flying or wherever i'm going so man i'm i'm pumped you do listen it's been too long
1: i see i didn't know you listened give me an episode that you've
0: listened to that you've enjoyed well my favorites obviously with mac i mean there's no question that's to be part of the stories was one thing but and, and to relive them not only with our friends, but then also the other kids that he was mentioning that I had coached and knew the families. I've been around those guys, so it was fun. It was, it was and stuff. by
1: Mac, you mean Brent Coach McDonald. McDonald
0: yeah, yeah, the one and only.
1: So I have to remind people sometimes. I'll have somebody from Thibodeau, Louisiana on the podcast, <laughs> and they'll say, you know, Duke and Eddie, they came by, and I'm like, dude, we've got listeners, not to be a badass, but in New Zealand and Scotland, so if you're going to say somebody's name, I need we, you to we gotta, say that. We've got to clarify. Name. We have to clarify. The elephant that. in the room right now, If I may, since you're in coaching and um, I'm in a different type of coaching, the elephant in the room is John Gruden. Yes. What's your take on that situation?
0: There's two sides to it. I think it's bothersome that he is not aware and was not aware of basically his surroundings and the people that were around him and basically going about his business in a very laissez-faire attitude and not really thinking about his team in a way that, that most coaches should in the fact that you have different people and your jobs are bringing them together. And so if you take one thing that's an that's a, uh, insult to one, you're insulting them all, even the ones that maybe don't, don't take it that way. I don't think that ultimately he's a mean guy. I don't think he's uh, half the things they're probably saying about him, but he's got a long road ahead. He's got what a has
1: that road ahead, he, how do you- recover and I don't from and that? I don't know
0: that he he does, and that's i mean it's it's similar to to a lot of these cases where something's said and they don't get the the channels to go back and and make it right, even if they're proven that that they've been rehabilitated quote unquote or however you want to term it to where he's better now i don't know I don't know that he ever gets to that point it's a and he's an older guy now too so i mean he's he's probably done unfortunately even if he does fix a lot of the situations, and I don't want to say just fix, but maybe talks through them with some of the people he needs to go talk to and understand that if you're the guy in charge, there's no two people alike on your team. And while we try to teach those guys and and treat them the same way, there's different nuances of how you treat different people. And I don't think he ultimately looked at that as part of his coaching job. I think he stayed so X's and O's that the rest of it didn't even register with him. So, Mm. you know, it's unfortunate
1: resembles the Drew Brees situation, don't you think? Very much so, but but Drew was very proactive.
0: Drew, I don't think, ever lost respect from all the guys in his locker room because I think they knew him. Uh, He never had guys say anything bad about him in the first place. And when he realized that he said something that was probably uneducated about the subject as a whole and probably said something that a lot of people think or thought in in different parts of the country, but he jumped on it and he got proactive about it. And he approached the guys, had conversations with them, figured out a way to get himself, I guess, more educated on, on what he was talking about and why maybe the other side was feeling the way that they were. And that way, moving forward, He didn't lose respect from those guys because they understood that he was sincere and they knew him prior to that. And I think that's the other thing with Gruden is that there's a, there's a faction of people that didn't care for Gruden ahead of time. And so when a situation like this happens, it's not going to get better. Drew had such ultimate respect by everybody and even people outside of football. I mean, he's a guy that commands respect. And so guys that command respect own a mistake fix the situation, not just to put a Band-Aid on it, but to truly learn from it and maybe have other people take his lead, which I think is what his real goal was.
1: That's a great point. I didn't read the entire article. I just know what happened. The only thing I read was that he had said something about an African-American gentleman having lips like Michelin tires or something like that. Right. Do you know of anything else that he said that was I haven't read much
0: of it. That was the part that was highlighted on you know the espn sports illustrated stuff that i saw sadly i think it's just the tip of the iceberg with what's going to come out from maybe things he said and maybe other people said and and again he may not have had a mean thought in his mind when he said it he just didn't understand the way it would be perceived and that's that's on him i hope he goes the right way in terms of trying to jump on this and be proactive and not just go sink into a hole because it's another thing that that being a guy that's been a coach and it's very revered from just an X's and O's standpoint, he could possibly end up doing even more good if he really works on this and makes the right decisions moving forward. Whether he does that or not, I mean, that's...
1: Man, that's another good point because I could see sinking into a total depression oh, absolutely. from this.
0: No, there's no question. I mean, if you take away X's and O's from him and the ability to go be with his players and coach and all that stuff, that's a shot. That's, that's a very very damning deal for anybody
1: for people who don't play sports. They don't quite understand the camaraderie being around guys that are like you and you, you work toward the same goal and have that same mission. You wake up every day, looking to dominate you're surrounded by 65 of those guys every single day. And then all of a sudden you're gone. What do you do
0: for whatever the reason would be? That's what, that's what I, I don't know. Even right now, I mean, and and probably like you, I mean, when I realized that I had played my last game, it was a teary moment. I'm not going to lie. It was, you know. Not for missing my my body feeling like crap or anything like that. It's for simple fact that what you had, and this is what I tell seniors every year, as we sit here in this dugout right now, if this is going to be our last game, this team, this group will never be together on the earth for the rest of your life, unfortunately. And that's a very tough concept for a lot of kids to understand. They look around and go, "Oh yeah, we'll talk." You won't though.
1: You won't. Some help. of them
0: you won't, and that's tough. That's very tough. I miss, I miss the. I mean, I miss the hell out of a lot of guys that uh, I played with that I haven't seen, and didn't, and unfortunately haven't kept up with too. And that's that's bad.
1: Well, and unfortunately, you a lot of times you're too young to appreciate that camaraderie at that age. You feel yeah. like it's going to go on forever, yeah. and no. it doesn't. No.
0: No, and then we're two old guys sitting here having a conversation like us and, rem- <laughs> and reminiscing over
1: it. Well, hopefully young
0: people can listen and learn from 100%. it. hundred percent, and I want them to to value that. I mean, not every game has to be a sentimental moment, but you do have to put stock in looking around sometimes. And I know a lot of the guys say that, you know, when they're in like an MLB playoffs right now. Somebody's telling a lot of these young kids that are playing, take a moment, look around, appreciate it. And I can tell you that's that's one thing that I've heard from many of those guys on TV and, and in interviews and stuff that I do 100% tell the kids that, that I'm fortunate enough to be around is, at some point, look around.
1: You know what my problem is? And this maybe makes me a weirdo. Sometimes I worry that I'm not grateful enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you get to that point. But as my wife and I are traveling through Australia and New Zealand and seeing some of the most beautiful parts of the world – I wake up every morning in gratitude, I I do, but two, three o'clock rolls around and I'm like, you know, babe, I don't know, I I don't know if I, am I grateful enough? Like, can you be grateful enough? And how do you express that gratitude other than to say, God, thank you so much for this life. I am in the top 1% of lives ever lived in terms of joy and happiness and, and love and fulfillment but am I grateful enough? You ever think about that?
0: I do, but I think you also you show it just like in most things, you show it by your actions. So now, you know, you're you're giving your information from your experiences, and those are things that even if it's if it's one person that's hearing some of those things that you're experiencing, you hope they experience it and you hope they're grateful. And you hope somebody else takes it from them and that they appreciate it and that they're grateful. And that basically that snowball effect is really the way that you show, yes, I'm thankful. Number one, God, thank you for what I'm doing. We all should be in that mode first and foremost. But also, show other people what you're doing. I love coaching. And I wish all the guys that I get to coach would come back and do the same thing. And I tell them that. I love working you know, in our company in a leadership role because I want guys to want to get better and make more money and go on to other things if if that's their desire or to continue to make us stronger, whichever way. And that's how you continue to just let that flow to the next people, you know, in any, any type, you know, coaching, leadership, CEO of a fortune 500 doesn't matter that people understand that you are happy. Number one, you're happy when you're on these trips, you're happy when you're getting to see these places, other people see that and they want to experience it. And that's what I mean, that's what you're trying to get to.
1: Well, what do you think about this? My JFK moment, like we hear our parents talk about what they were doing when JFK died. I kind of feel like that moment for my friends, my buddies, our generation is going to be when Kobe died. Kobe was quite the inspiration. Mm -hmm. Did he have any impact on you? Sadly, not
0: when he was alive. Because well, I, I looked at him, like most people do, from from just on the court, I, I saw how he demanded respect from his teammates and opponents, which I think is a dual task, and and uh, and he did that much like Jordan, and that's a whole other you know debate deal. But now, when you're going back and you're seeing the other impacts he had, you're seeing how much he enjoyed being in in all aspects of basketball. He was a huge advocate for women's basketball because of his daughters. And just his small part of starting what he did with that is going to make an impact for generations, uh, you know. And so looking at it now, and it's almost in a weird way that I think he's one of those icon people that's going to probably end up having a bigger effect post as more, opposed to during, yeah. you know. And that's you don't want that to happen, obviously, but there are people that, that that's just the way their impact works. Roberto Clemente, same thing. Same way thing. more impactful if you hear every one of these young kids that's from Latin America come up. What do they talk about? Roberto Clemente. Roberto Clemente. Always wore number 21. They always have that thought process that that guy's impact on other things was way more And we know he was a stud, just like Kobe. I mean, the guy had an absolute cannon from the outfield. He could flat-foot it from the fence to the plate. But that doesn't matter like it does to all these kids now that just saw the way he played and his impact in his community and the way that he continued to make sure that he was an advocate for the younger kids, poor kids, to get to do what he got to do. So.
1: Yeah, and you hear stories come out about Kobe sneaking in through the back hallways and, and stairwells to visit kids in hospitals and and no publicity, no publicity right. if I'm gonna do this, you know, that right. sort of thing. And right. did you ever hear what what he thought greatness was? He mm-hmm. was asked on the Lewis Howes podcast what he thought greatness was. And he said, Greatness is when you inspire somebody who inspires somebody who inspires somebody. Yeah. That's exactly what we just talked yeah. about.
0: I think the cool thing about him is as a player, he's always going to be one of those guys in the conversation when you start talking, you know, Jordan, Magic, LeBron, blah, 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 from a basketball standpoint. Of course, I'm, I'm more for the Olajuwon, but that's another <laughs> conversation for another time. But but he's able to have that, and then he's able to have this whole other side of things that young women basketball players that are going to be affected by just him forever Yep. that's a big deal yeah. you know so
1: I had both sides let me tell you my earliest memory of you <laughs> i'm walking down the hall we had some big ass hallways at Cy falls yeah. high school and i see this big old dude taller bigger than everybody you would have been a junior at this mm-hmm. time wearing a letterman's jacket it was probably 85 degrees but <laughs> it looked good on you you uh, you, you had to wear it. I know that's you, correct. You had Kristen Nick across the back. <laughs> and I thought, that's cool. The guy's got a long last name. But I remember asking the guy next to me, I said, who is that dude? And he said, and the reason I asked is because if Johnny Quarterback had a look, it would have been you. <laughs> I mean, you look like Johnny Quarterback. Not only that, but you were dating a girl, if I remember correctly, Megan. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Mm-hmm. Cy, she went to Cy Fair High School. Correct. OK, for whatever reason, it seemed to be there was a little there was a little more prestige when you could pull a, a, a gal from a different high school, <laughs> because that meant that you had a little game. I mean, it's kind of easy to, to pull from a status pool where you're Johnny quarterback. Well, old Kurt, Kurt had a girlfriend from a different school. But then this is what I remember most about that. We ribbed you so much because she went on to go to Penn State University. And at that time, their quarterback was Kerry Collins. Absolutely. And I think he was the fifth overall pick, something like that. Something like that. So every chance we got, it was like, Kurt, hey, how's Megan? And then before you could answer, somebody would say, oh, I'm sure she's quite comfortable in, in Carrie Collins' bed I, or something. I forgot
0: about that, but it, I remember it 100% now. That is absolutely hilarious. Those are my earliest
1: memories, <laughs> along with the Bush CD, that Bush absolutely stone. Yes, sir. We would replay yes, that sir. in your truck over and over and over. Old and over. red and
0: white truck. We would have that thing going.
1: You know, one thing, you come from a great family, and I'm curious, what's the most important thing that your dad has taught you about being a man?
0: 100% show with uh, your hard work by your example. And I I think that's simplistic because that's what he did. And I think a lot of us that were together in, in high school were all beneficiaries of dads that did that, in my opinion. And we all were fortunate enough to get to know each other's families. They were supporters of all the players, they were supporters of the administrators and teachers of the school. And so we all got to to learn from, from good people like that. I know that other guys had respect for my parents. I had respect for other people's parents. And because they all basically walked the line of not beating us to death with it, but just kind of, did they just showed us. Get up, I go to work, work hard. You've got new cleats, you've got a new bat, whatever it may be. That's not something that needs to be on a poster board. That's just what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Do what you're supposed to do. You know, Do your job. It's overly simplistic, but it's 100% right. Yeah. And it always will be. It's not changing.
1: That's a good point. It's reminding me of how excited my dad would get to see Brett Johnson or Kyle Rutherford, Kirk Kristineck, or anybody who came to the house. My dad yeah. would get excited about you guys. Yeah. and And, yeah, there's something to be said. For the relationship built between the parents and the kids, because we're going to become them, basically. We're on the way. If not there already, (laughs) shit. When you got two kids, right?
0: Two teenagers, so it's it's real.
1: You mentioned Coach McDonald earlier. He had quite an impact on me, but I asked him about you. I said, "Uh, "Kurt's going to be on the podcast." I said, "Uh, "What do you think of Kurt?" He said, "I'm a big fan of Kurt." He said, "His family." He's one of the founding fathers of Cy Falls Baseball. He's got monster hands, <laughs> but he's got a monster heart for kids and for baseball. So for that, That's we appreciate stuff. you. That's
0: good stuff. Yeah. Awesome.
1: So how many brothers do you have?
0: Two younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Kyle, who you played with, I think, for a year.
1: Kyle, Yeah, Kyle would be two years younger yeah, than me. So he
0: maybe, yeah, because he played on the varsity his sophomore year, so that had oh. been your senior year. And then uh, Cole was younger, so he was, Cole was 03. So we're, we're spaced out okay. through there. Yeah. But you're the oldest. I'm the oldest, yep.
1: How did being the oldest help you to become a, a great leader?
0: You have no choice but to be the one in charge. And that was from the, really from the from the get-go, you know? And, and we were fortunate growing up where, you know, we had us, we had the Cocors family, who you know lived next door. We had the Allens. Uh, Will and Joey lived across the street. Michael Lipsy was one way. Kurt Watsick was around the corner. We were a group. We were a team. I basically led that little circus in the neighborhood. We played wiffle ball all day. We played football all day. We did all this stuff. And I basically coordinated it all. So I didn't even realize what I was doing, but it was basically a predecessor to the, you know, to what was going to come down the road.
1: And for those listening nationally, internationally, the names you're throwing out, these aren't Joe Schmoes. No, these are all dudes. <laughs> these are dudes, right? You said Cole Course yeah. lived next door. Yeah. Who is that?
0: Chris Cole Course played at Rice. Was the starting left fielder when they won the national championship, uh, college baseball in 03. Uh Will Allen was the starting left guard, I believe, for University of Texas when they won the national championship in football with Vince Young. Both of my brothers played college football. Kyle played at Trinity. Cole played at Kilgore College. So these were – you know, Kurt Wasik played baseball at Southwestern. I mean, all these guys were – and it got heated from time to time. <laughs> it got it got good. Okay.
1: Yeah, a little competitive. Which is great. That's what that's what builds I you like up. I like to
0: think a little bit of that is what made them all – you know, made us all get to that point. I mean, you had – Almost, And if you had the girls in the whole deal, you probably had a dozen or so college athletes growing up on two streets right there. So, it was, it was pretty; it was a good time. Very good Well, time.
1: did you have any older influences?
0: Honestly, I really didn't. I had close friends who were my age and stuff like that. But it was more so the guys at my age where the, we all kind of rolled together. Jamie Bubella, close friend, always has been. He had three brothers. So, we kind of ran as a pack a lot of times. And so... I think our, the influence was more collaborative from a lot of people as opposed to anything that was necessarily older until I got to college. Because remember, when I started at Sci Falls, there was, there was only one class ahead of me. And there wasn't anybody in that class that was a what I would say just a true leader at that time.
1: Because it was a new because school. Because it was new.
0: There was just not that older influence. Like By the time you got there, like I said, I was two years older we were in that position for y'all. And so now when I got to college, I can tell you that most of my closest friends from college were former teammates that were all older than me. And influence is not always good. Sometimes it's, uh, it's a learning experience that you go through. But I did have several guys that were older that were all very solid influences that showed me things about the game on and off the field that I just didn't know, I wasn't exposed to. From simplistic things about how to react to an at bat that didn't go your way, to how to leave the stadium, how to get to the stadium, the way you dress, the way—I mean—all these little things that you don't think of—they were doing and showing—and and I, I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty, it gets passed on to all the players that are playing for us now, no question.
1: Brag a little bit. Tell me about your senior year of high school, baseball-wise. In the off-season,
0: uh, started working out with a guy named Mark Mahalik, and he's one of the most renowned hitting instructors throughout Houston, and he's still doing it. In fact, he's been doing it so long, his right arm is shredded, and he now throws (laughs) (laughs) left-handed. I'm not kidding. I've seen him do it. Uh, I got to coach with him a few years ago, which was really cool. But Mark wasn't as much of a technical guy as he was a I'm going to teach you how to get through at bats. I'm going to teach you how to work pitchers. I'm going to teach you how to avoid offers. I want you to be able to react to things in the game, understand why they may pitch you a certain way, all that kind of stuff. And while my dad had said a lot of the same things, just like every teenage kid, you don't really register a lot of that until you hear from somebody else. And that's just reality. You know, I'm dealing with that right now with my own, but, um, the season started off, um, and make no mistake. As you know, we were very good. We were very good. We were ranked in the top five in the city. Back then, all that was in the newspaper. So waking up to see your name and your school in the newspaper was a big, big deal back then. We were good. We had guys – our whole team was good. I mean, even when, when you guys came up and, and played on the varsity from time to time, and we were – y'all were good. Everybody in, in, in our com- camaraderie was really good. But I just I, – I, I was fortunate. I had a really good season. Got off really, really hot. I was um, – you know, I ended up uh, – went through a cold spell late in the season. That was probably the hardest thing that I've had to do uh, or had to get through baseball wise ever, even including college. Um, Cause I went for basically about two and a half months where everything that came close to the plate, I was just barreling it and it was working, you know, and then it stopped. And when I say it stopped, it stopped. And ironically it stopped on a night where I flew out with four absolute missiles and had I taken that the right way as opposed to being pissed off about being over four, I don't think I would have gone into a three week tailspin. I wish somebody would have told me to think of it that way. And the night it happened, ironically, and like I said, I was hitting probably I mean, I was probably hitting five fifty or something at that Shit. point. And Texas Tech came to see me. Uh, the assistant coach, Marty Lamb, stood up there in the stands. I knew they were coming. First ball of the night, I hit an absolute rocket to the right fielder, which anybody that knows me or played with me knows that's a rare deal because I didn't go that way very (laughs) often. And second time up, I hit a hard one center fielder. I think I lined out three times and maybe hit a hard one hopper to the shortstop. Nothing wrong, not productive, but all balls hit well. And basically that, that mentally it whipped me, and I tried to start fixing things that didn't need to be fixed.
1: On your own or you went back to, to on, my own. And-
0: on my own Once I went back to him A couple of weeks later Kind of talked through some of that stuff But really it took getting one To be completely honest Bullshit base hit And it kind of clicked back in And about that time We were going to playoffs And I broke my thumb Which not a lot of people knew But I played in the cast for all the playoffs that year And really had a Messed-up deal there that was not not easy to work with on the field. But I wasn't, you know, they'd had to shoot me to not let me play in the playoffs. So yeah. it is what it is. How'd you find Mark Mahalik? He was coached in high school by Coach Hayes. My dad and Coach Hayes played together at Sam Houston State. The thing was, he had reached out and said, Hey, I'm sending Chad, Coach's son, over there to go hit with him. And really, he just wanted to make sure he wasn't driving all the way down to Missouri City by himself. So I kind of went along for the first time or two uh, and it just started working. I mean, it's just a, it was a great perspective. And the other thing that motivated me is when you went down there was a bunch of the kids, the players from Elkins high school, which back then was they're loaded. coming off a state championship yeah. at that point. And those guys are in there working and I'm going, okay, that's what I wanted. I mean, I wanted to see them. We saw them in the paper. There wasn't a Twitter feed at that point. We saw them in the paper. We knew their names when well, these are the guys they're in, they're hitting, they're getting after it. I'm like, okay. Let's. this is what we want to do. This is where I want to get to. These are all D1 signees. So being around it, iron sharpens iron.
1: Hopefully somebody looked at me that way. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to be said for being exposed to guys who are leveling up and getting around it. Major. Major.
0: Major. I, I, I don't ever recall a time that I went down there and didn't get really really challenged not just by the instruction i was getting but not wanting to fall behind because of what was going on around me it scared the hell out of me i didn't want to be the guy that was rolling balls over to the l screen when other guys are sitting there hitting balls that sound like rocket launchers every time they get the barrel out Mm -hmm. you know it'll it'll, it motivates you i mean bottom line a lot of people are scared of the fear factor the fear factor is what what makes it work when you're out there on the field there's i mean there's nothing better in my opinion
1: so for dads listening who have 12, 13, 14-year-olds, how do you go about finding somebody that can be that personal tutor or mentor coach, hitting coach for your son?
0: It's kind of a catch-22 nowadays because back then there wasn't a lot of people doing that. Now they're all over the place. I mean, I bet you could probably find probably over 500 different guys giving consistent baseball lessons in Greater Houston right now. And that may be a low number, honestly. I do think you have to have some type of personal relationship with someone else who has already gone to said coach and seen how they react. My biggest tip I would tell any parent is if they go and take their kid to somebody to hit or pitching lesson, whatever it may be, if that instructor doesn't initiate and instigate conversation with the kid while they're doing the lesson, get out of there because they are 100% in there just to collect their money. I know that sounds bad, but they're out there. I did lessons up until this past year. I finally quit doing them. I did them for 20 years. And my biggest deal, and I even got in trouble with a few parents that questioned me on this, is we spent more time talking about stuff than we did swinging the bat. Because in their mind, they're going, okay, I'm paying you X amount of dollars. Come in here for 30 minutes or an hour, whatever else it is. And they want to get up there and just have the kid swing about 100 times. It looks like he's swatting at mosquitoes. And they think that's, okay, now little Johnny's better. Well, no, he's not. He has no idea what we've done. He hasn't been talked through the process. And that's when my biggest deal, and ironically yesterday, I I was with a customer on one of our flooring projects. She's got a nine-year-old son. He had been going to a hitting instructor who I know very well, and he's a phenomenal hitting instructor, big leaguers, everything. But this is a nine-year-old. And some people don't do well with the younger ones because the conversation doesn't work. So they removed him. Nothing bad. He understood. They understood. Went to another coach that they had gotten information about. In five minutes of the first time he was there, they could see the difference. He's been going to him for like three months now. The kid's confident. He's going out there. He's hitting the ball. He's having fun. And when he goes to his lesson, he's the first one to talk to the instructor about what he did. He doesn't want his parents to say anything. He wants to tell him good and bad. I struck out. This is what happened. I smoked one in the gap. This is what happened. Both sides. So I think that if I were to start like with my son now, I still work with him. He's a sophomore but he actually hits from an instruction standpoint with either another coach that I work with uh, in our Rake City Baseball organization or actually with one of my former players who coaches with us now also. That's who he goes to for instruction because they talk, because they explain, because they understand him just as him and that if he hits and then the next kid comes in there, they can't be cookie cutters. And unfortunately within this realm of, Instruction all over the place, a lot of guys are making it that.
1: You know. Did you restrict what ages you coached? Because it'd be so hard. Like I watch Chase Lambin post yeah. pictures of his son, and, yeah. and he's knocking balls out of the park, but he's <laughs> stepping four feet out to do it. Yeah. And I know Chase knows what he's doing. Exactly. Which is what? What is he doing? He's- he, he,
0: I, I think he's given him the freedom to just play the game. We don't do that enough nowadays with kids. I can tell you with, with my son's group about three years ago, I was frustrated with them. They were annoying me because we were not we were getting better, but then we, when we got to the game, it just didn't quite show up. They were very timid. They, they seemed very unsure of themselves when the ball was hit in a game and stuff like that. So for two weeks of practice, we started playing wiffle ball. We put the real balls down after we, we warmed up, did a regular warm-up, put the balls down, put the bats down. We started playing true wiffle ball. Coaches would play. I'd have my other dads out there play, and we'd just get after it. And the deal was you have to play as a reactionary type deal. And if you learn it that way is you start to tweak, you know. And I watched the videos of, of, of Chase and his boy too. And, you know, yeah, he does this and does that. But at the end of the day, he's figuring out how to get the barrel to the ball. And that's what we're supposed to do in the grand scheme of things. But you're going to slowly tweak to that point. But at some point, they've got to be able to just react and play. Just play. Like what I was saying, when we were growing up, we played all day. Our street, we played all day. You know, It's the old Yogi Berra comment. He goes, I didn't play Little League because you get three at-bats, be pissed off for a week. Play wiffle ball, you get 70 at-bats in a week. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes it a little bit better. Yeah. You feel better about yourself.
1: <laughs> What's with guys striking out so much nowadays in baseball? That bother you? It
0: bothers the hell out of me. What,
1: why? What's going on?
0: It's um, it, people are going to blame the launch angle stuff. They're going to, and that's got something to do with it. But this is all dictated by money. If you throw it harder than everybody else, you're going to get paid more. If you hit it harder than everybody else, you're going to get paid more. And, and that's and the that is a by, and that's the exit velo that people are which I like exit velo as a stat. I'm not huge into a lot of this other stuff analytic-wise. I love the exit velo deal because that tells me that the barrel got to the ball and everything's good. But there are analytics that show that three-run homer and a one-for-five night and a two twelve batting average but 35 home runs in the season makes the team go, and they're letting guys get away with it. I mean, Pete Rose just had a deal this week. I don't know if you saw it. Talking about the Yankees, Stanton and and Judge Gallo, he was on Gallo. He goes, they're banking on him to come up there and hit one out, and by all means, we know what it looks like when he barrels one; it's going to be smoked. But he struck out two hundred thirteen times, or two hundred twenty-three. Play times. that much? <laughs> no, he's not even a full-time <laughs> player. So P. Rose said, "He said, if I struck out two hundred thirteen times, I kill myself." <laughs> That's a different perspective. P. Rose told Paul Yanish that played at side creek played at rice played 10 years in the big leagues with the reds the braves the orioles but when he was with the reds they're in the locker room one day and pete rose just comes rolling through paul how you doing blah 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 I kind of start talking hitting he goes man just keep in mind hit the ball in the middle go over and over there ain't nobody playing there there's nobody there just hit the ball into the middle you're gonna get on base and he kind of walked off and he turned around and he goes
1: if they'd have put somebody there, I'd have probably still had 3,000 hits. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you make of these shifts? Because supposedly they're 100% accurate. Well, but here's the thing. If you're a good enough player, beat it.
0: The shifts will stop when, you, when people start beating it. It's not rocket science. Are you working
1: with hitters Oh, absolutely. Okay.
0: But, but it kind of coincides with that. I mean, number one, to understand situation above everything else. Know that. You know, nobody on, nobody out. Go up there and let's get our hacks in. Situation: We got a runner on second base. We got less than two outs. We need to get a get a ground ball or something to the backside and get him over. We're still teaching that from a simplistic manufacturing runs baseball perspective. We know our kids enough to know what we expect of them in those situations, but we expect them to know the situation. Now, it always doesn't happen that way. They're kids. They're fifteen and 16, 17 year old kids. They forget half the time what the situation is, and they got mom and dad and everybody else screaming and yelling they just go up there and swing and hope for the best that's a hard mountain to overcome but if i had a team shift against us hardcore you better believe there's going to be ground balls going the other direction or at least the attempt to or bunts
1: yeah or both would you be a fan of robo ops
0: i would not no i would not but if the umpires the umpires right now and I'm going to say this where it's going to be out there for everybody cuz I'm not a <laughs> fan of umpires.
1: You and me, I promise. <laughs> I, I don't like
0: umpires. I never have, but I will tell you that they are getting scrutinized in a way that they never have. And the the worst thing that happened is for them to put that box on the on the games. That's the worst thing.
1: On television, you exactly.
0: mean? Exactly. When they put that box up there that's supposed to define the strike zone, it puts them they're already at a disadvantage because now they're being tracked from a perceived strike zone, all right?
1: Jose, perceived meaning the angle of the camera comes from a different place every time. Jose Altuve is five foot five.
0: Aaron Judge is six foot eight. That box on TV doesn't move that much. A human eye is going to make the adjustments to the strike zone better than, than the different angles of things. The only way to get the angle, in my opinion, is to basically get on top of the pitcher's hat and get straight in. But the umpires are at a disadvantage. I just wish they'd take some of that stuff off. And I also think that these replay deals that are going on need to be more elaborate in the fact that they can cover all things like the situation, in the Astros last week, where the runner ran inside the baseline, you know, that's, that's something that should have been able to be reviewed. It's not. So that's, that's where things get gray and the umpires, which I was just as pissed off as anybody, but the umpires are in a horrible spot because they're getting reviewed from every single angle TVs showing it from every single angle they're in a no win situation, so I'm defending the umpires a little bit.
1: But and if not, I played word association, bottom of the food chain, the first word that comes to mind is umpires are way down there <laughs> <laughs> Umpires are way down there,
0: just in general and uh-huh. and right above them is a uh, football official. They're right down there with them.
1: How hard is it to hit in a game when it's nine to one, bottom eight? I mean Those umps are ready to go home. It's 93 degrees. You might as well just take three hacks. In these summer tournaments,
0: primarily, man, it's hot. And and we do everything we can to not get on these umpires because it's not like a major league game where they're playing it you know, in St. Louis and it's hot and they're they're umpiring that one game. These guys are there at eight o'clock and they're probably leaving at around eight o'clock. So you're talking a twelve hour day in the sun, and they you know, breaks aside, they're doing most of the time they're gonna do three games in a day, sometimes four. If you go out there and immediately start getting on them, I'm sorry. It's, not, it's more than human nature at that point to just say, you know what, buddy? If you're going to be an asshole, we're not going to deal with you today. You know, <laughs> And I think our coaches do a good job of not letting that get crazy. I mean, understand, you know, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that they would even let the field umpire wear shorts in these summer tournaments. Now they do, which I think is common sense. But I've seen them fall out. I mean, we had a, a, uh, a gentleman two summers ago that me and another coach literally, and I saw it happening and i ran out there before it actually got real bad but the other team's uh, head coaches in third base box i was in our dugout on the first base side and we both kind of saw it went out there and got him and walked him out dehydrated and it just they get busy they didn't eat as much as they should during the day between games whatever else it is plus you're on turf most of the time so it's
1: 110 out
0: there it's it's tough
1: do they still do that florida water remember we had that as kids in the dugout it would be in a little igloo jug yeah and you put that on your face. It was the coolest, yeah. most refreshing thing in the world. Do they still have that? They will let teams come and bring their own coolers in. But okay. all
0: these places trying to make money on concessions nowadays, they get goofy about what you can and can't bring into a lot of these uh-huh. complexes. We take one. I, I can tell you, we take a cooler for our team in most of the time to where they can jump in there and do that. They can splash themselves. They can pull the water out. They can put their waters in and we keep that ice and moving all. I mean, I don't have an ice and water budget, I probably should. <laughs> because we spend a lot on ice and water every yeah. summer. But I it's too scary nowadays for those situations with kids getting distracted during the game, they don't drink water or something like that. And I just it's not worth the the fear of, of things that could happen.
1: Sometimes I think I I bring up Chase Lambin's name just to force him to listen. But this is the second time I mentioned him. He was telling me that this seven, eight, however old his son champ is now yeah. it's a money-making racket yes, you're gonna charge me 15 dollars to park f you i'm taking yep. my kid to the nicest park in town which yep. is the triple a park we're not gonna pay a dime so yeah he's getting yeah. he's he's over the hill he's is that the right that's not the right phrase over the hill <laughs> that's for me and you who yeah, are 40 say, something I'm years there. old <laughs> <laughs> but no he is some pissed about all the money grabbing that they're doing i agree Let's talk about what you're doing, not only in baseball, but I think as sort of a side hustle Sammy, if you will, because you're, you've got hats that you're doing now. I appreciate the hat you yeah. gave me. It's a, it's a looking lefty. Stellar. It's for lefties, right? That's your le- That's a lefty only. It says two seam on it. It's a great looking hat. Yeah. It's red. God, it looks good yeah. on me. We'll make you our, make you our new model. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'll. Bring really? it to Chiang Mai, Thailand, okay. and sport it there. There we go. Tag myself. Well,
0: I was going to say, if you tag yourself, that's our whole our whole deal. A lot of, I mean, it's it's a my, my business partner on this, Brent Brooks, was a left handed yeah. pitcher for us at Tech, and you've met Brent before. Yep, I like and, Brent uh, a lot. And he pitched at Tech, and he pitched at Sam Houston, and we kind of started messing around with that. And he goes, you know, lefties always got a little something different, so we put that on there like that. It came out came out really cool.
1: I think we're thirteen percent of the population. Does that sound right? I don't know. I mean, we're, my mom's left-handed
0: a hundred percent. My son bats left-handed, but it does everything right-handed, everything else right-handed. So quick story on the left-handed deal. So my son was probably two and Kyle, my middle brother who bop, he batted left-handed came over to see his nephew. He wasn't married yet. And they're out there hitting balls off the of tee. And I drive in from work that afternoon and he's out there hitting on left-handed. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, you know he hit left-handed put him on that left side and just let him rip and here we are 16 years old sophomore in high school left-handed hitter from <laughs> probably from that one little little deal yeah, he, could rip. he could
1: hit him out of the park yeah, he
0: could he could so we're, we're still working on that with the boy but he's 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 working he's getting better
1: so my daughter the other day started banging her right hand on the table and i was asked by a family member if it bothered me that it looked like she was going to be right-handed and I said, no, she's a girl. I don't care what she is, but that boy better be left-handed. <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> Should funny. I be so blessed? Yes,
0: yes. Awesome.
1: Uh, so I'm seeing pictures that you post with these young studs headed to Texas Tech and A&M and even, even in the big leagues. Got one of the big leaguers. How is yeah. that
0: coming about? Well, I've, I've been very fortunate in the organizations I've been in. been you know Got to, to coach at Cy Ranch for 10 years running their – Varsity summer and fall teams, and and man, we just had a lot of good players. And so, I think the best thing with those kind of kids, there, there's two different aspects to this. and I've gotten to do both. I've had the teams full of D1 guys, and you have to coach them a certain way. Almost a fear of screwing them up. You don't want to mess them up. You want to you want to give them other things that are going to push them and more so prepare them for the expectations that they're going to have when they get to that next level. I think that's probably the biggest deal out, you know, you're not sitting there going crazy about, uh, you know, mechanics of the, the pitch or the swing or whatever it is. You're, you're more concentrated on, hey, when you get to college, you may see this happen. Or when you get to the season and you're a guy that bats the way you do, you may get pitched this way and try to prepare him that way. Mm-hmm. And I've had the other teams where the guys are all scraping and clawing to get to a junior college. And it's a different type of, of, of dynamic. But I, I, I will say I've, I've been around good players. I've been around players that probably weren't very talented but who played their tail off and got to go play at the college level. I've had one player that I've been around, the coach for three years, that got to the big leagues. And that was really one of the coolest things I think ever, was sitting at Minute Maid Park watching him pitch. It was it's pretty much indescribable. What's his name? Corbin Martin. Yep. Yeah, and it was –
1: Still in the big leagues?
0: He is still – he was up and down this year with Arizona. In fact, I just texted back and forth with him uh, earlier this week. I'm proud of him. He's had to overcome some stuff, had some arm issues, had some other things. But he's married, has a son. He's got another one on the way. He's doing the things that we want our guys to do. 99.9% of them are going to play in the big leagues. We both know that. You know, I I know that going in. I tell parents that when they first – bring their kids to us. I'm not here to send big leaguers out. I've coached over probably a couple thousand kids. I've had one, one get there. And I got a couple that may be close coming up here uh, that I've been able to be around, but all those players I think would tell you as well. And I think we would both say it as, as well from when we played their success is, has been the result of a collaborative effort from a lot of people. And I, I truly just happy being one of those ones with with most of these guys. And I like the people that I've collaborated with to help these kids. You know, that's that's the other part of it too. I mean, it's it's good people helping and like I told them all. I mean, someday you know, your playing time's going to end whether you like it or not. We all get told, I just want to see you come back and put the same lesson out to whoever the kids are. I don't care if you're coaching tennis or badminton or basketball, it doesn't matter. Just Put it back into whatever it was, and that flow of influence, positive influence, you know, should continue to radiate through. I mean, that's that should be a big deal.
1: Beautiful. So, when I graduated from college, you're a couple years ahead of me. Mm -hmm. You and I helped to coach the Cy Falls varsity summer team, correct? Where did you go after that?
0: So, I stayed there for about three more years, and then when Cy Ranch High School opened. I knew the head coach that had gotten the job, John Pope. I don't even really remember how we connected originally, but he was friends with McDonald. And uh, we had just moved in basically across the street. And I think – I just thought it was probably time to maybe do something different than the Cy Falls deal. We played there. I had coached there for several years. Enjoyed it. My brother was on the football coaching staff at that time. But it just – at Cy Falls. He was there at that point. It it, would, it just all kind of fell in line at the same time. I, I ended up talking to Coach Pope. He had talked to McDonald about something unrelated, and he was trying to get guys to come help him get things started with the program. And it really kind of all fell together. That was 2009-ish. And
1: what fell together? What did you do?
0: Just getting into the program, coaching the teams.
1: You basically but, did for Cy Ranch what you were doing for Yeah, it was, Falls. A, it was the same deal. Okay. But
0: as it evolved, it became a little bit more than that because – and a lot of this has to do with kind of the way McDonald did when we were at Cy Falls is, is that he used his summer teams and his summer coaches as confidants. He wanted to discuss things about things we were seeing. He wanted to, to utilize that. It wasn't just a dad out there making a lineup. And that meant a lot to me that that Coach Pope put a lot of that trust in, in me and, and the other guys who were Brooks and, and then Zach Stewart, my other college roommate who, who – coach there as well. He gave us that. And he also he trusted us but he gave us he gave us rope to go be our own guys and and do the things we did within the program. And it just kind of became one of those deals where we just got to be really good friends. We you know, we had the two teams of one state championships
1: in the spring it,
0: it, in yeah, in the spring season and we were you know, being a part of that and being around those kids and the families and all that kind of stuff, absolutely. From a coaching standpoint, very few things can ever even touch that. I, I don't think, you know, we won state in twenty twelve. Nobody thought that we were going to do that. We finished third in district and got hot. And when we went to the state, we went, and the day of the state championship game, we were actually supposed to be back in Houston for a t ball team party for my son. And we said, "Look, we're going. You know, we won the semifinal. We're going to stay." Well, we win, and we basically jump in the car, and we're about to leave. And I stopped, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I've I've got to go back in there. I have to.
1: And what is there, Dishfolk? The,
0: no, this is a, they moved. It's a Round Rock. We're, we're chase coaches now at the, the Express.
1: Triple-A Park. The Triple-A Park, yeah.
0: So Marty was like, let's go. My wife, she's good. Like, let's go back in. So we did. I was like, look. You married well, the, huh? I, very, very much over my skis but she's like, no, let's go. Let's go back in. We'll just, the party was at our house back here. <laughs> and she goes, look, I'm going to, we'll call a couple of them, tell them where the key is. Let them just get started. We'll get there. We'll get there. And we did. And yeah. so we walked back in and I can tell you that 20 minutes or so was literally, I, it gives me chills, not just the fact of the taking the pictures, but, but hugging coach Pope and holding the trophy and, and, Seeing all the families come up and interact with each other and and just to see the whole thing, just the the relief is one part of it because we did it, but how much everyone supported each other, wherever their place was in the program trainer, you know, school administrator that traveled with them on the bus, you know, the different little superstitions. Yeah. I mean, us us three, summer coach's wife to see the players come out and hug my wife. That always meant a ton to me. She supports the dog out of them, all of them. She has her favorites and she tells them all, but I think if if we were really keeping score, there's probably dozens that can say, you know, I'm I'm Miss Marty's favorite. So, and that's they a good thing. I knew what day. they were doing. They, I'd have been hugging your <laughs> wife too. Agreed. But and that's but that's what I like with these type of setups is where you've got a system where everybody knows how to trust each other. My kids run in, you know, one of my favorite pictures when Corbin got to the big leagues, I had a picture of him holding both of my kids from a tournament that we had won. I mean, you just don't get that. That's just it's cool shit. I mean, there's nothing else you can
1: say, you know. So this Corbin kid in the big leagues, he was on that twenty twelve team? He was
0: a sophomore on that team and actually hit a home run that was way out to left field and that and he ends up pitching at A and M and pitching the big leagues. But he could he could flat swing it when he was young.
1: So Any other studs on that team that went far?
0: We had a bunch. Leon Bird played three years at uh, Rice, and then he played. Uh, got drafted by the Rangers. Derek Dickerson played for U of H. Uh, had both uh, two brothers, Starks. Uh, both played D1. Bryce and, and Dalton both played. Um, they were loaded. <laughs> we, we had so many guys uh, on both of those, all those teams back then. But the cool thing is I, I don't think any of them ever got to a point where they didn't remember where they are from, and I don't think you can say that everywhere. I think some guys leave programs and they get a little bit bigger. Yeah, I mean, know where you came from, you know. Know what you're a part of. So, I don't – that bothers me when when I see that going on.
1: Is Cy Ranch still a perennial powerhouse?
0: They are. I say new coach. He's not the new coach now. Coach Cephas has been there about six years. We lost in the state semifinals three years ago, so we, we have been back to state one time. I stepped out of coaching there actually four years ago today was my last game. I saw it on my time hop this morning. Ironically, because I was trying to prepare myself to not hear the whispers of why my son may be making the team at the school that I coached at for 10 years.
1: You mean your kid isn't like top two or three studs? No. Okay. No.
0: And if he was, I'd have still done it. I just, I know from some other coach Pope being one, his son played for him at Ranch, and it was very difficult. Like I say, even if he was the top of the top of the top, I'd have still stepped I'd, I'd have taken it. I don't regret that at all. I wanted him to make his own way. Now he's not immune to that. People know. People think what they think. Whatever he's earned, what he's gotten to. I don't know what the world holds for him from a baseball standpoint or football standpoint. But I I do know that he's earning whatever he's getting on his own, and that's the way that that I want it. Outside people may perceive differently. They're wrong. He's doing what he needs to do. He's putting in the work to to do it. So that's why I stepped away from it. and I don't like sitting in the stands, though. (laughs) I will say that. Are you that
1: dad? Everybody claims to be not that dad. Are you that dad? I can tell you that everybody
0: in the stands there will know 100% I am not that dad. I do not say a single word. I just don't. I, I, I know I know what I know and I know when I have my conversations with him, it's at a different place. If I see something that needs to be addressed, I try to as hard as I can to live up to what I expect other parents to do of our players. I'm not perfect. The only time I'll, you'll, I'll ever get on him outwardly in a game, baseball or football, is if I see a focus or hustle problem. That I perceive as a problem. That will be addressed during a game. Other than that, the rest of it we take care of somewhere else.
1: How will that be addressed during a game?
0: Give me an example. My big problem nowadays, a lot of dads will go all the way down, or moms, to the dugout or down to there to go say something. Mine's usually just a, hey! And it's pretty quick. He knows I need to...
1: You know, I can't imagine if I saw my son... Let's say he struck out and the ball rolled past the catcher and he turned back and then he started jogging to first. I can't imagine how livid I would be. I don't know what I would it's do. It's hard.
0: I will say this. And, 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 of course, I'm still coaching him with our travel teams and stuff in the, in the summer. and And it's hard when I tell all of our parents what the expectations are for how to act their son. But I'm on the field with mine. And I'm trying to live up to that same thing by, you know, I want to tell him something when he's up to play. I can see it. I know something. But I don't. Is that right or wrong? Honestly, I don't know. I, I don't. But I try not to bother any of our players while they're out, like physically about to take a, a swing.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's hard, you know. <laughs> but I but if I ask them to do it, I feel like I need to do the same. I'm not perfect. It's, it's very difficult. So,
1: I have a few questions that Carson Lee wanted me to ask you. Mm -hmm. Carson Lee played professional baseball. I believe he played at Prairie View A&M University. Correct. Correct. He's from the Cy Fair School District. Big Mm -hmm. fan of yours, by the way.
0: He's a good dude.
1: He wanted to ask, what's the path to building a stable baseball organization? Because you've built Rake City. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: I, we've had two. I was involved with two different organizations, basically starting from scratch. One in Livingston, Texas Slam, and then now with our Rake City that we started back in 2017. Above all else, is to be extremely organized and make sure that your parents have more information than they even need. And what I mean by that is that a lot of teams, to the most simplistic part, some people don't care about this stuff. I do. Where are they supposed to be? What time, what uniform, what shoes do they wear? That's the deal now because of turf and grass. All these little nuanced things are overlooked in so many other organizations. Most of our parents do not miss the opportunity to make fun of me about my emails that I send out to our parents because they are informative. Um, I have several dads that say that they print them out and take them to the bathroom with them, and that's where (laughs) they read them. Um, But I don't think... I think if I stopped doing it, it'd probably scare the hell out of them. But I, I want them to know. I mean, even like the, the folks in our, you know, in our flooring business as well. When I send stuff out to all of the sales team, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm sure the reaction is about the same. But I don't care. I want them to have the information. Can't say it and tell you. And that's a pretty big deal. But I, I would think, you know, you've got all the tools. Email, apps. I have an app that lets me text the entire team with just like that. You have to utilize them. And half of them are free. You just got to do them. Okay. Because I think when you get to a ballpark with these teams now and you get there and a team shows up and half of them are in one jersey and the other half are in another jersey, it's, and our, our players know that it's my worst pet peeve about them not coming to the park looking the right way, right uniform, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to tell them. They have to know that's an an expectation. John Wooden made all of his players tie their shoes the same way, just so that they did it the right way and they wouldn't come undone and trip during a game.
1: So attention to detail starts with that. Okay, Carson, you hear that? So that is be (laughs) meticulous. There's a free app out there where you can get information out to parents. Team Snap. Team Snap. And make sure that you give Dad something to read on the dumper. (laughs) Question number two, how do you find kids to build the program and add teams when you're first starting off? One of the things that we've – and I'm just speaking
0: at at the upper level, being like high school age-wise, not upper level, like elite players, but the older kids. But I think it can be true for the younger ones as well. I don't personally like tryouts, and that sounds crazy to people when I tell them that. I hate tryouts. I don't like them because you can go out there – and absolutely be a stud for two hours you can just have that day and then we actually get you and it's not the same guy or vice versa everybody's probably been to a tryout in some form that they've gone out there and completely shit the bed
1: it's like a job interview
0: 100 but we know if, if i have the right background and talking to the other coaches the high school level i can do that like if i've got a player i'm in question about I'm fortunate enough to have relationships with a lot of the high school coaches around where we are. I'll just call them or text them, say, "Hey, Josh, you know Johnson showed up. He tells me he's a center fielder and he does this and does this. What do you think?" And these guys, I mean, they're going to be honest. But I think having that relationship with those guys allows me to get the background information I need and not get stuck with a kid that we really don't know too much about. Especially at the older levels, we can really we can vet a lot of the information and get what we want to make sure they're a right fit, both as a person and as a player. Okay. And I say that as a person, as a player, because as you know the camaraderie is only going to be as good as your people, and one guy can't screw that up. And so, and we've had that happen. Nobody's immune to it. But I think also at the same time, you can get a lot of that background information. You know, even if a coach says, you know, he's kind of a quiet kid, I can live with that. I can deal with that. But if I hear some things that bother me about a player that shows up, you know, we, we've got to address it. I'll be the first to tell you, we missed on one this past summer. We had one we thought was going to be great, blah, blah, blah. Turns out we had all kinds of issues. Parental I, or? Everything. Parental, uh, player, everything in between. We missed. We had good information, we thought. And, and I wish the kid nothing but best going down the road, but, it wasn't good we missed on it but we learned from it we move on so i think now at the younger ones you really got to know the people that are here around and try to get as much intel on the players without just what you see to try out as possible that's harder at the younger levels but you can do it like when we first started rake city that was an 11 year old team and it 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 was derived off a fairfield little league out there off 290 the, the, the neighborhood little league there when we moved back to houston I asked my son if he wanted to continue to play baseball, and he said yes. And so we just signed him up, threw him out there, Try out whatever. By the grace of God, and I mean that, we ended up on a great team, not wins and losses-wise, a great team, good parents, good coaches. Everything was really good. And we basically had a, a group of kids that we took out of that league because we knew the families and made that our first team. And then we actually took our second team was all the little brothers, From that team. So I knew that those two teams, for the most part, we knew the families well enough to know that we were going to be fine. I also knew we weren't going to be very good. Um, And we weren't. And you have to be okay with that. And that's hard because you're going to have parents leave when that win-loss column doesn't look the way they want it to. I told ours from the start, if you start looking at wins and losses this first year or two or even three, I don't want you out here. Point blank. I don't know that all of them thought I was serious about it, but I told them. So we only, we played first year where I think we went four and 21. And then we won like nine the next year. And then we got a little better. By the time our fourth year came through, the last tournament we ever played as that group together, we won it. It was the only tournament we ever won. I still don't know how we did it. It's probably one of the greatest, craziest things I've ever seen in coaching baseball was these 13-year-old kids winning a tournament that they had no business winning. But they supported each other. And the kid, the parents did and all this. And so we, we, we knew the ones that got to that point. It was going to be good, but I, but I told them up front, you have to be honest with them. So if you want to just go get a bunch of freaking huge kids that are going to go dong it up and win tournaments, that's fine, you can do that. But I don't see a lot of thrill in to seeing the progression. So I would tell them hundred percent. Make sure that you're honest with the people from the get go and what your expectations are and what you think. He's a Carson's a smart baseball guy. He knows if the team's going to be good or not you just got to make everybody understand that you are a progression-based thought to these guys over the course of a few years and get him ready for high school ball.
1: He and I talk about effective communication mm-hmm. and preempting the sort of problems that you might run into Absolutely. by having a losing team, but I don't do it as well as you. Man, you are good. <laughs> I can tell that you have had success for a reason. Well,
0: but I've I've got my ass kicked a lot, too. And it's not that you're okay with it. I mean, nobody likes to lose. And I can tell you within games, (laughs) there were times where I was on the brink of losing it. But I I will say this, two things. I don't know if he's married right now. I have a calming force with my wife, who in my most frustrated times is able to see things in a better picture on those and make me remember what I told everybody about hey this is going to take a while we're going to get there we're going to progress. I don't have a bunch of kids that matured physically early. We had none. So it's going to take us a while to get there. And that's that's one of the things with just giving them all this information, then they know. Then it's on you, you know? I mean, you, then you've got to make that progression work so that 3 and 4 years down the road they see the fruits of the labor. So
1: and for my audience, you know what I do in that situation. It comes from journaling. My wife helps too, but my wife and I set goals. We review them every quarter. Those conversations that he just mentioned having with his wife, I do that same thing. There's gold in that. So I hope you're paying attention. That's, that's good advice. <laughs> Another question for you. How do you add coaches to the organizations but continue to instill a coaching slash Practice slash game philosophy that is the same with every team, without having to attend every event.
0: Yeah, hundred percent on trust. And again, Carson's been in the game for a while, so I know he's got a good network. I am unbelievably blessed with network when it comes to both my my real job with work and when it comes to the baseball side. You know, my wife makes fun of me because she calls me the glue because I'm the one that'll keep in contact with, with people and find ways to connect and this, that, and the other. Well there's a there's a reason because you gotta have people that, that you know you can delegate to and step back. And if you can't do that, you need to find somebody that you can do that with. Right now with we have we have three teams in our organization. The guys that coach I have hundred percent trust in. We have had very long conversations about not just philosophy, but what we expect from the kids. They have their own way of also going to the parents and, and laying out expectations to the parents and the players of each individual team. Our coaches do a great job of contacting directly two players on the team. I think all of our kids would probably tell you that they're comfortable shooting a text to any of us at any time. As they get to that point where they're able to communicate like that, they're also able to take criticism better and they don't, take it as a forceful reaction that something's bad all the time, that they really are being coached, maybe hard, but there's a reason for it. And all of our guys, you know, so I, with our teams, uh, Rocky Rao is, Rocky was a damn near legend in the late 80s in this area, baseball-wise. He ended up playing at Florida State, played in Omaha, won a World Series when he was at San Jack. Gary Herman played at Cy Fair. He's played with the Phillies lived with Scott Rowland while they were in the minors. Brent Brooks, who you've, you know, you know, great background, great teacher. They're all good communicators. Mark Simon, who's a younger kid, he actually played for me at Cy Falls years ago, went and played in college, came back. He's actually back in pro ball, but he's still coaching with us, so it's a really cool deal. But all those guys, I don't have to do anything extra to get the point across. They do that. Now I've got Mason Hibbler, who played for us at Cy Ranch and won a state championship Played at Texas, played in Omaha, started for him for two years. He knows what my expectations were because he was on the other side. Now I've got him with our group of my son's age, and he's out there running a lot of the show because he knows what my expectations are. I'm just coaching first base and making some pitch
1: changes. So So many important points that I want to touch on there. Nobody succeeds on their own. That's absolutely right. That is a farce. There's no (laughs) self-made millionaire. It's bullshit. Nope. I'm not sitting where I am without guys like Brent McDonald, Kurt Kristenick, Auburn Higgins, Mickey McKee. Those, without those guys, I'm not yeah. sitting here with you today. Yeah. And as far as your being able to network, you and I are birthday buddies. Every, Absolute, year, every year, you and I are going to connect <laughs> and on June have. 19th. We always have never missed. Never missed. Never missed. The other, I
0: remember where we were when we
1: figured that out. We were in my truck in
0: the jack-in-the-box drive-through in Brenham, Texas, <laughs> at a tournament. I kid you not, for uh, the, the Lone Star Shocker Tournament. Okay. And we're sitting there. Uh, it was it was me and you. I want to say Eric Johnson, and I want to say Jamie. We're driving through between games playing in Brenham, and we just kind of sat there and got to BSing about something, and Jamie and I were talking about our birthdays being two weeks away from each other, and you said something about yours, and I went, holy cow, there's two of
1: us. I remember when it happened. Get Straight out. up.
0: Straight up. It
1: bothers me <laughs> that you remember that and I don't because I pride myself on my We're memory. In the old red and white Chevy. So, speaking of networking, I can tell a story about how good of a networker you are. They always talk about a, a good old boy's network, especially in Texas. Yes. Well, I must have been two weeks out of college starting my first commission only job selling real estate and i ran into you somewhere i believe it was a, it was probably on a softball field yeah. if i remember right and you told me that you were doing flooring mm-hmm. and i said well hey man why don't you come and give a presentation at our office and man you came and you killed it <laughs> I, I mean everybody <laughs> thought you were the greatest thing it made me look good next thing you know you're doing a pretty big job for my boss right. at his personal home That's and after that, I'm at your in-laws doing a listing presentation. Absolutely. So call it good old boys network if you if you want, but that's character. That's work ethic. And when you know each other have that, yep. th- those are the guys that are going to level up together in life. Yep. So there are these, these losers who think they can't make it because there's some sort of exclusive good old boys club. Bullshit. Make your own. Make your own. Make your own show up every day figure out what the talent is that god has given you and develop that talent until you're turning down hundreds of thousands of dollars because there are better people out there that you'd rather serve even if it means less money in your bank account and that's kind of how i view the world now you have a third generation business correct Mm -hmm. that's correct our, our flooring
0: business buffalo floors My grandfather started, he was a football coach. He was an administrator in HISD, started it in 1965 and it's just grown. I mean, it's all, it's, it's a, it's an overly simplistic story because it's, it's nothing but just hard work. And I think the the biggest deal is I get to make those correlations all the time with our company. I'm very proud of our company's history. Obviously I'm biased, but I know our guys do a good job. Uh, We've got a great reputation. We have great folks that, that we work with and, you know We're able to get through good and bad times because of really solid collaboration. Things get a little crazy in our industry when we get natural disasters. I mean, hurricanes, the freeze, these t- things happen. You've got to have people in really good cahoots or you're going to miss a really good opportunity for your business, but you're also going to make your reputation go the wrong direction. We make mistakes. Everybody does. Our guys make mistakes on jobs, things like happen. You have to overcome those by how you attack them. And our company's always done that. So our, our, you know, the, the biggest deal now at this point is just continuing to uh, to grow the company, but also not let it get so big that we don't have the same core value. And that's, that's really where we're at today. So my parents, aunt and uncle, drove it on through, through the 80s and 90s. And when I started at the end of 2001, there was no question what the expectation was. It was to make sure that you understand that that's your grandfather's name. And that's the way it should always be. So What's the name of the company buffalo floors
1: and if i wanted to find it online i could just google Buff- buffalo buffalo Floor. and it has
0: an e on the end because it was their name glenn Buffalo's my grandfather and he and my grandmother uh started it we merged about two and a half years ago with another company and it's been a phenomenal phenomenal thing for everyone you know nice showroom you know good people that came together i know those things don't always work out that way there's yeah. a lot of times those People get fired, people get mad, all these other kind of, we have been beyond blessed that the whole thing has been as, you know, knock on wood, it's been smooth. Uh, y'all don't want to jinx it at this point, but it's it's been really good.
1: Grandfather's still alive?
0: He is not. He passed in, in 2002. Uh, grandmother passed away in uh, 2010. And I, I have no doubt they would be extremely excited about the way everything ha- has gone out. I'm the only grandchild uh, that that has been in it from the start. I have one cousin who is in it now as well uh, that works uh, in a different capacity in the company, but, but she's in it also. And... They, they loved to work hard, but they also liked watching other people work hard. Hmm. And that was a big deal for them. So, I mean, they were, like I said, the expectation was clear from the get-go. You work hard, you're going to get benefited. You're going to get the fruits of what, what you do. I mean, it's not rocket science.
1: So. your dad work in the business?
0: He still does. He's not going to retire, so he's going to work. Because that's what he knows to do. But he also, he, he immensely enjoys it. He loves the, the, his network is, you know, we've been talking about networks and stuff. His is Unbelievable. Uh, and he's respected in the industry. I mean, people rely on him. You know, When you've been doing something for 40 plus years, you're doing it right and people trust you. And so he, he continues to do that. His brother uh, is also in our company, does the same thing. They're just their reputations for not just knowing a lot, but just the way that they handle things. It's Whether it's a customer or whether it's other people in our industry that we buy from, I, I respect their respect for those folks in our company. Again, bias because it's family, but it's real, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can tell it, so.
1: All those families you mentioned that grew up around each mm-hmm. other, are they all still there in that location?
0: Some are. Uh, my parents moved out of there about two years ago, uh, and they're out over closer to where we are. Some moved to other houses in the neighborhood, but they're all, everybody's still close, and everybody's still in communication. I mean, everybody. Facebook it, makes that easy. It does, for all of its faults. It's got some good stuff, and that's one of them. <laughs> that's a, that's another podcast. Yeah.
1: Oh no. You'll be asking fun (laughs) questions if social media is a net positive or net negative. Don't think you're going to get by that one. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Any plans to ever retire?
0: I don't know what that would even look like, honestly, because I just don't think I could not be doing something and not have a plan every day of knowing that there's somebody that has expectations for me to do something that day. I guess that's the most, you know, basic way of looking at it. So quote unquote retire from a not working as much or maybe doing something outside of the the realm, maybe. But honestly I, I like what I do. So if you like what you do, you don't want to not do it. You yeah. Know? I mean I,
1: So you're nine to five, quote unquote, is Buffalo Florida. Correct, correct. And then you have the the Rake City that you correct. do outside of correct. that. And then this Hat Company Correct. is with Brent Brooks Correct. that you just started. Correct. Why the additional side hustle? Now you have a second side hustle. I
0: wish I had a really good answer for that. But honestly, I think it's because, look, we're not going to retire and go to Hawaii off selling hats. We're just, we have fun in the baseball realm. We, we half-assed joked about this for several years, going, I used to put that on a hat. I used to put that on a hat. Well, we did. And that's really where it's at. And we've had some cool stuff happen with it. You know, we've got a former teammate of mine, owns a big facility out in Odessa, a baseball training facility. He bought five dozen of them, put them in his pro shop. We got it. Uh, Brooks, we found a guy in Nebraska, bought a dozen of them. He's going to sell in his pro shop. We've got a former player of ours over in uh, uh, Louisiana that played at Centenary, uh, all-time hits leader at Centenary. And he bought a couple, and he's working over there and wears them during his lessons and all I mean, it's it's just fun. Uh, and it's a reprieve, bottom line. When your main job is your main job, you do it, you do it well. The hustle is, is not so much, I mean, the, yeah, you're making money and that's that's part of it. But it's, it's also to reset your brain a little bit. Because if I get too far on one side, I'm, I'm a little grumpy. Explain. I try not. And this is something my dad has said on more than one occasion. Try not to take the day's events home. Meaning we have a project going on, something happens. And, and you let it go in and it affects what you do with your wife and kids. It affects how you sleep. It affects now nobody's immune to that. And it happens and it probably still happens more than it should, or something that happens during the day, either whether it's an interaction with a, uh, a, a work crew or, you know, a customer or whatever, it just gets you. It just, it just gets in there. But the way to get it out sometimes is to just have a different direction. And so, now, we're a busy family, and that's a lot of it. Like I was telling you last night, myself and my dad are at my son's football game. My my wife and, and my mom are at my daughter's volleyball game. We've got a lot going on. But I don't think I would operate very well if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's why these all kind of come up to pass. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, I like all three things. You know, we've I've also got a fourth deal that I'm involved with also what is that, that, that we do uh, with another friend of mine that, where we sell turf uh, for batting cages and stuff. And – and again, with that, that's using a network of coaches that we talk to, and really, we're selling them stuff, quote unquote. But we're really just going over to the high school and bullshitting about baseball with coaches. Yeah. That's a pretty good deal to do from from time to time. So all those things are after hours; they they deal with themselves. But but it's a good reprieve from the day. And within our four walls, we're we're busy folks. And I just I think if we didn't have that, we'd probably freak out.
1: I think most people are that way, if I may say so, that they schedule themselves well well i don't know if well i was going to say over schedule but that's not fair but there's a self-inflicted busyness yes that they feel as though they need and my personal viewpoint is because they might be scared of what might fill the void right high anxiety neuroticism whatever it might be
0: people know that I'm a busy person and they, you know, my wife laughs, you know, she makes fun of me with that as well, that she's like, it's not like you're running around with a bunch of women or running around to bars and running around to this, 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 this you're coaching kids. You're messing around with Brooksy on the phone with the, with a hat we're designing. You're talking to some coach about putting turf down in a, in a, in a cage. It's not vices. Right. You know, if I have vices, it's baseball and floors. I mean, that's what it, that's <laughs> what it is. And so everybody's got their problems don't get me wrong but I think you know with with the way that I like to operate is go hard moving hard put what you got into it maybe rest can come down the road I love to sleep but I just don't get to do very much of it so (laughs) how much sleep do you get well nowadays because I've got a CPAP machine I can time my sleep every night (laughs) so right now I'm averaging right at about seven hours Good for you. 6.45 to 7. Okay, so I'm
1: at 7 hours and 15 minutes, okay. and I have been for a long yeah. time. I look at
0: the first thing I do every morning is I look, that, uh, <laughs> I look at my air machine, hit the button, and it pops up and it tells me how long I was asleep. So, and,
1: and do you get a tired feeling around 2 p.m., 3 p.m., or does that not eh, happen? Not you really. don't feel like you need a nap? No. See, I think more people should do this. Figure out how to maximize your energy, and, and I think where you start is – Figuring out how much sleep you need. John Gruden, I remember reading his biography. He can live on three to four hours sleep. Yeah. He would sleep in his office. That's how he became one of the yeah. youngest NFL head coaches of all time. Yeah. We're not all that way. No. no. I'm not that way. I, I need seven hours and 15 Yeah, minutes. I mean, I,
0: I've got, like, today, you know, I take the kid, I take my son to school every morning. So I'm up anywhere between 6.15 to 6.45. Some days a little bit before 6 on uh Fridays, we've had a deal in our family since the kids were going to school. It's Daddy Donut Day. I go get them donuts on Friday mornings, try to make my way through McDonald's and get Marty a coffee. That's just kind of what we do. But then I also, in the mornings, because our office is in the Galleria, I do a lot of work immediately at home on my computer For if I'm not going straight into the office. I do that a lot. It's quiet. I get a lot done. And I probably maximize that 30 to 45 minutes of just knocking out initial emails of the morning and maybe a couple phone calls than I would, if I was sitting there in traffic messing around on six ten trying to get to all the way down to, to where we are. So
1: you a prayerful person.
0: I pray a lot privately. I should probably do more of that with our family as a whole. We, we do, but I, I have a lot within between my ears and, and a lot of, uh, I would say questioning, not questioning, but but more so just kind of trying to talk through situations. I look for signs a lot. I don't, you know, maybe sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. Um, I I think everybody perceives a prayerful person as somebody that's on their knees every single day and hands crossed and reciting verses. I think you just got to know what works for you. So I pray a lot for my family's health and safety. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really probably what drives most of my daily, maybe a 10 seconds, whatever it may be, is that wherever that is, pray for them. I do it a lot. My son's 16, doesn't have his license yet. He's going to have it soon. I pray a lot for their safety. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, it all kind of ties together. But I do. I mean, the, the world's hard for kids right now. So it's hard, it's hard for a lot of people. So I don't think you have to make a big uh, showing of it either. I'm, I'm not a fan of, trying to throw a party because you prayed for somebody.
1: I just don't think that's
0: the, I don't think that was the intent.
1: Did you raise your kids in the church?
0: We're a Catholic church. Love our church, Christ the Redeemer, out in Cyprus. It's a um, great family church. The priest there is undoubtedly the, uh, he's the best priest that I've ever had interaction with. He is a he's a sports guy, which of course that's an instant deal. But he he relates things in a very realistic manner. It's, like in a modern way. Yeah, it's not it's not a hellfire and brimstone. It's not a damning type of deal. It's just it's a very open. It's very uh, you know he'll post things on like where he's traveling on Facebook or tried out this new beer. The simplistic things that people appreciate, he does very very well. So when he does his his sermons. People are I mean, I can tell you when 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 we're there and he's he's we have two priests when it's his day, we're locked in. I mean he's very, very good. Very, very good. good. He could go manage any kind of company and be highly successful. If he left the priesthood tomorrow, number one would be a horrible loss for the Catholic Church, but some C, some CEO would be replaced somewhere because he's better. So he has both sides of the equation that, that makes sense to a lot of the people in the congregation.
1: And all four of you go to church every Sunday? We don't go every Sunday.
0: We we have had times where we have, and we have had times where we haven't.
1: But but
0: just like everybody, we're not perfect, but we try.
1: Does your sixteen year old ever go by himself?
0: No. Well, yes and no. I mean, they he has stuff with with his um, uh, classes that he takes. There, both of them do. Mm-hmm. So there's times that they're there by themselves, or in other small group stuff they are probably more dialed in maybe to day-to-day reading of of different scriptures and stuff like that than I know that I am. And while that's probably not good on me, I think it's at least we've got them in the right direction with their own decision-making. And I know when I was growing up, there was times where it would feel like going to religious education classes was a little bit of a struggle, be boring, whatever it may be. I've never had that indication with either of our kids. They've been very, very excited about going. They they enjoy it. They, uh, they're they upset when they can't, when they, you know, if it's canceled or COVID, obviously they couldn't go. We couldn't do, the. everything had to be virtual. They like school. They like church. They like going out and doing these things that I know some kids probably don't. I think that's their... The one thing that I probably admire about both of them is that they are fully engaged in those type of things where I think a lot of other kids just kind of turn off and just disconnect because it's not fun, quote unquote, to them. So yeah,
1: I want to ask a couple of personal finance mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. before we get into the fun questions, mm-hmm. and oh, <laughs> they' are going to be some fun ones. Do you invest for retirement? No, not at all. No, so no four hundred one k. So what is your plan? You're going to, you're going to work in the business and just make sure that your family is taken care of. Yeah. Now
0: within our business, there is a plan within the business for with, with partial ownership, things like that as we go forward. So there's more, more to that, that I, I probably would choose not to elaborate on, but it's, it's also, it's incentive laden, meaning that my performance helps the company, helps the value, helps come back to me down the road. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's not your standard corporate 401k or anything else like that, but it's, it's a different scenario with how pay is structured, etc.
1: Do you do any investing outside of that?
0: I, I don't. Not I, at all. I, I'm, I'm not good on the financial side when it comes to those type of things. It's, it's something I would be probably more open to looking into more. I get approached a lot for, for those type of things, but, to be honest with you, to a fault, and I'll be the first to admit it. Uh, the busyness of everything else sometimes prevents that, and you just yeah. kind of, you just kind of go. And it's probably not the, uh, the the prototypical answer of people that you probably talk to in these type of deals. But it, it shows that there's people out here that have a little bit different take on all that. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just you know, from our standpoint right now, my only mentality is to work and work. And and like I told you, I enjoy doing it, so there's no reason not to do it. But I do think there's some things within our company structure on what we're going to do down the road that'll... Uh, I'm not just going to say take care of it and I'll be fine, but, but there's a plan with, with how the company would move down the road once we continue to build it up that could, could benefit that also.
1: I get at least one message a week saying, thank you for the variety of guests that you have. So the fact that you answered the question the way that you yeah. did is a good thing. Yeah, I well, like hearing that.
0: Not everybody probably agrees with that uh i don't even know that i agree with it to be honest with you but it's just one of those things that we just you know uh, as you go through life and you just kind of get rolling on things and we 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 get to that spot where you know we're very fortunate we have a nice house vehicles jobs the things that that you want to have when you feel like you're at a good spot could it be more sure it could you know do we need to do better sure we should very much aware of that will we yeah i think we will but it's just one of those things that as we've gone through it's just it hasn't been maybe the priority it should have been but i'm okay with that.
1: But if you had let's say a windfall of $125,000 mm-hmm. next month what would you do with it? I I probably well
0: either invest or probably go somewhere in the realm of property ownership, flip that type of deal. I work with a ton of people that do that that flip. we're we're the one of the trades that comes in, you know, that, that does that for a lot of people. I'm actually one of the ones that kind of talks people off the, the crazy spending on those type of deals. It's probably not a good sales technique, but I'm telling them, look, you're flipping the house. We don't need to put something that costs $10 a foot in here. Let's think through this a little bit better. Yeah. You need to make more money on the cell, not spend more on the, on the, the rehab. And right. uh, so I, I think if I were to do that, that'd probably be the one of the first things I would do is buy something that, that could be an investment fixed up. I've got the, You know, very blessed with trades from, you know, plumbing electricians and obviously floors and painters and where I could flip a house like that. So
1: what's the dumbest money decision you've ever made from
0: the outside looking in? It's probably when we left Cyprus to go and move to Livingston and I took the baseball job up there because it was getting out of all the things we just talked about out of our comfort zone, out of a ton of money. And it it took a while to recover. And you you know,
1: out of a ton of money because you got out of flooring for a while.
0: Got out of the business, yeah. Hauled together for about a year and a half, or, or somewhere in that range. Um, and really, it was, it was, it's. I mean, it's a passion, but it's not a passion that pays you a lot unless you're a <laughs> Nick Saban or somebody. You know, somebody in those type of upper realms of coaching. The rest of it, you just got to do it because you want it, because you like it. But you know, to an extent. As much as I loved it, and I don't regret that we did it in any form or fashion, there was some residual issues with it coming out of it. And, again, you, you learn, and, and you kind of got to go through it, but I wouldn't trade it, nope, not one bit. I uh, met a ton of people that I can call on at any second. I love the people we met up there. I have some of those boys from Livingston that grew up with my son when he, the year we were there that are now playing for us here with our teams.
1: So I would not trade it one bit. Very cool. You ready for fun questions? Do it. Is social media a net positive or net negative for society? It is a net positive. I think a lot
0: of people have probably seen, and I know there's negatives to it, just like with anything. That's why you're asking it. But the positive means you have people that have been to reconnect with people that they haven't seen. They've been able to maybe even have business ventures, that have been increased because of it. Um, they have had personal worth in terms of just their own self worth, probably. I think more people have had it go up because they've reconnected with people and they feel good about the relationships with people and those type of things, as opposed to the to the damning side of it. So while I know it's got its faults, I would say it's a positive. The original intent of social media was obvious, at least in my opinion, to connect people. Yeah. Well, I'm big on connecting people, so I like it. It works for me.
1: I must say that's the first time I've heard someone talk about social media in terms of increasing self-worth. So I like that. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite baseball or basketball or football card that you've ever owned?
0: Ironically, I think it was a Jerry Rice rookie card. So Kyle collected cards hardcore when we were growing up. I did too. Uh, but for whatever reason, we we had a old chest in our bathroom that was filled, not even organized, just filled with cards. Filled, filled, filled. And over time, at least Kyle started going into them and going, there's some good stuff in here. We may want to get this a little bit better organized. On Christmas every year, he gives my son... The two baseball cards, one of the American League Rookie of the Year and the National League Rookie of the Year. He's done it every year since he's been born. He's got some good stuff. Awesome. And so then that, that, like, you know, this will be 16 this year. So he's got some legit rookies and, and stuff like that that have come. If you think about some of these guys, Mike
1: Trout, be pretty good. Who's doing this, Kyle? Kyle is, yeah. Kyle, done. that is one of the coolest things <laughs> I've heard. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, he was the man. first
0: nephew, you know, uh, for them. And it just kind of became one of those deals where he just took it and ran with it. So, every year he gets those two cards. It's pretty love cool. I love it. Is yeah. it
1: tops? Upper Deck, it Everything. Clear. He,
0: just, I, he just gets what you – know, so much of that card stuff has changed. It's, yeah. it's crazy. But he still has a lot of the stuff we had when we were, when we were young. And I know his boys collect some of it, too. And and my son Cole collects other ones as well. So we,
1: he's got some pretty good stuff. There's, the problem is one. they've gotten crazy with it, like with with mint and super mint and super excellent well, mint yeah, condition. When they, when they I mean, just
0: sold the, the Honus Wagner deal not too long ago, they docked them for like a million dollars because it wasn't super mint. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, it still worked out okay <laughs> overall.
1: On a scale of 1 to 40 games, how much does a manager – impact wins and losses over the course of a major league season, if you had to put a number on it, so let's say you play 162 games yep. a year, how many games does the manager impact the outcome of those games? I'll take
0: it a step further. 162 games. Every team's going to win 50 and lose 50. So those other 62 that have all the intangibles. So if that number, what the manager affects, I think it's probably half. So let's say 30 out of your 40 questions more direct is about the way that they prepare their guys not for the game that they're in but it's for the game the next day the managers in my opinion that prepare their guys for the next day generally have the most success the player is not surprised by decisions a lot of the times so they're prepared for a lot of those things and when you're prepared you play faster when you play faster you play better I think that approach is where those 62 kind of, you know, the Dodgers won 107, the Astros one ninety-five or whatever it is. When you think about those those games in there, now that, that effect can obviously be positive and negative, but I think within those games how that manager prepares his guys for the next day, the bench guy, hey, we need to get you a start. So on Thursday we're going to give you a start so you can get three to four ABs that day. He's already thinking. He gets to a relaxed point by that day. He plays better. That preparation is probably the biggest thing I would tell, not just managers, big leagues, but I would, you know, college coaches, really anybody, even like right now I texted all of our team. We played a night at 8.15. I texted them all yesterday and the day before with stuff to get ready for tonight. But you still got to have Jimmys and Joes. Somewhat? You got to have Jimmys and Joes. They got to be pretty good though. <laughs> it, it, it's good when your players are good. It makes <laughs> it easier. <laughs> yeah. X's and O's are great, but your Jimmys and Joes better be pretty good. Why is Tony LaRusso having so much success? So I'm going to show you this. You're going to, they can't see this. So this is, you asked about the book deal. Okay. Yeah. I don't read. All right. All at right. all. This, you asked about a favorite book on the, the deal. You email me. This is it.
1: Okay.
0: In reading this. Ironically, because Astros just played the White Sox, I'm not a big fan of him right now. But in general, (laughs) I'm a very big fan for what we just talked about his preparation, his preparation of his guys, his exploratory looks through possibilities that could happen, both from the way another team's going to play you and how another team's going to use their personnel. When I I read this, and my wife wears me out about it, because I don't read. My kids are super readers, my wife is a super reader that's probably better than it is that way. But I read this uh, because every time we fly somewhere, I'll buy a book generally at the airport when I know they're 30 bucks and I'm sure I could get them for half that on Amazon. But I bought this when we flew, I can't remember where we flew to, but it was pretty good. It was like a three or four hour flight. And I went to town on this thing and I damn near finished it on the flight to the point where I had a highlighter out and I was going hard, not just on the baseball stuff, but I mean he could walk into a lot of companies and be very high up the food chart really fast because of his preparation, his communication. Everybody was dogging him this year, saying he's going to have problems with these newer kids. You know, these newer players weren't going to respond to this old man, old baseball-type deal. Well, it worked out pretty well. Now, they're good, don't get me wrong, but his preparation of those guys, and, I mean, if you hear some of those guys interviewed, like when they interviewed um, uh, Lance Lynn, he was like, we talked about all this stuff in spring training. I knew what my job was from the get go. There was no question what his expectations were for me, and that's just one guy. So you know it was all the way throughout the clubhouse. And he's also able to be when you're when you do that. I think his biggest deal is he's able to be critical of his players, with them understanding it's not a slap. It is a encouragement. It's the old adage of if a coach stops, stops talking to you, something's wrong. If he's yelling at you, you're probably okay. Yeah. You know. No
1: doubt. Okay, so we jumped the gun there. But your favorite book is the, <laughs> "One Last Strike." One Last Strike yeah, by
0: Tony La Russa. It's Tony La Russa and Rick Hummel. Um, it, it chronicles the 2011 season when they came back in the World Series. That was supposed to be his last season managing. Of course, now we know he's back. But like I say, it, it was. It's a baseball book. Make no mistake. But you can see the parallels. With other things that are going on, that that he would be very good at if he was uh, in a different spot other than baseball. And again, he's got his faults, just like everybody else does. But he's also very open about them in that deal. And some of the intricacies he talks about, like conversations with him and Jimmy Leland, well, for a guy like you, will blow your mind. It's unbelievable. I'm going to read it. You need to.
1: You're not my only buddy that has a high intellect that has some serious. Perceptive skills and observation skills that doesn't read. I mean, I I have more friends like you, but you're one of the best. Just the fact that you recognize that teachers and coaches have transferable skills that would make them successful sales executives or in the boardroom, things like that. That's. That's a skill set. Where'd you get that? Does your dad have that too? He he does. And I, I, you know, if you look at your
0: at your life, I think you you know, like you said, who are influenced and stuff like that. My dad is definitely an influence. My grandfather was an influence. Coach Hayes, Larry Hayes at Texas Tech, that I played for, and then got the chance to coach alongside, huge. His son, who I played for, Darren, also, um, same type of thing. Because, you know, I, I know my dad could jump industries and be very successful. My grandfather he coached, he was in administration for the school district. Then he runs a flooring business, you know, literally until he passed, he could have gone into other things and and still been successful. But that was when I was the year I got the coach at Texas tech as a, as a graduate assistant being with coach Hayes. I saw a lot of similarities between him and coach Archie Hayes, who we played for Archie was a, was who has gone on to be very successful within the Cypher ISD, uh, you know, administration after being a coach because it is. It's transferable. You can see that. But I, so I think I had a again collaborative effort of guys that I I looked at with that. But I think it really kind of started to to, to come into, into form when I was with Coach Hayes that year at Tech because I watched all the different hats he had to wear. And and he he had told me more than one time he's like you know, sometimes I'd like to just hit some fungo. Like there was almost too much going on sometimes, and so that's that always kind of sticks with me when I'm jumping from whatever to whatever to whatever
1: to whatever to whatever
0: <laughs> and that's he but he would he knew it and he admitted it but i i know for a fact you know you don't get asked to be on the the amount of boards that that guy served on if you're not able to attract different crowds and have them gravitate to what you're speaking about and what your feelings are and what your you know all your not just opinions but they're past the point of opinions he's right on his directive to a lot of different folks. That's a very special skill. If you talk to different people from different backgrounds and you know different financial parts and different religions, and he had to do that and be a baseball coach. Well, as you know from playing, you got three kids that come in from California and three kids from Dallas or Houston. They're not the same. But you better be able to figure out how to make them play together. He was very good at that. Very good at that.
1: That's a great point. You're a Jeopardy contestant. You get to choose the category for Final Jeopardy. What category are you choosing?
0: Is this the uh, Alex Trebek version or the Aaron Rodgers version?
1: This is the uh, <laughs> 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 shit they've been saying. Because so- <laughs> Alex
0: Trebek's going to wear me out because I don't have anything I can win with that they have been through maybe so many your, of them recently. Maybe with Aaron Rodgers I'd be better. Uh, you know what it'd be? How about this? Classic baseball uniforms.
1: Wow, that's a gr- an interesting topic.
0: Ask what jerseys some team wore in what year, what the time frame, whatever. I'm probably gonna beat your ass.
1: Interesting.
0: Or Texas High School mascots. My buddy Rocky Rao that I that, that we coach together, if he's driving, he'll call me from different towns and see if I know it. <laughs> and I'll get him most of the time. <laughs> He cracks up.
1: That's all across the country or that's a, Texas? He,
0: all, all over Texas. He, he'll he call me from work because he went to LaGrange High School. They're the leopards. I go, Rock, there ain't a damn leopard in LaGrange. Where did y'all even – I mean, who the hell thought of that in the first part? And he said, I don't know. Some old boys probably down at the cotton gin. So
1: Wichita Falls.
0: Riders, I believe, the rough riders. Wichita Falls I should know, but I don't because one of the guys that lived next to me and played football at Tech my freshman year played
1: there. Longview. Lions. Elkins. Knights. Elsick. Rams. Willow Ridge.
0: <laughs> Willow Ridge. Eagles.
1: Let me think of a few more because this is fun. <laughs> I'm not perfect,
0: but I could get through a category, I think.
1: Round Rock.
0: Dragons. Well, there ain't impressive. no dragons in
1: Round Rock either, That's bud. <laughs> hatchie. Indians. Wow.
0: Surprised it had not been changed yet, but yes.
1: Is there a Paris high school? Mm-hmm. What's the mascot?
0: I know the junior college is the Dragons. I don't know the high school, though. And is I this- just drove by there like a year ago. I had a project up there. I just drove there. I always look. My wife, like when we're driving, all of her family's out in West Texas. We're going through these towns. And I just look to see where the fields are and stuff as we're going. She's like, Do we have to look at every film we go? You're just looking for lights. Yeah. Uvalde. It's right down there in Frio country. We just had friends move down there. I should know this. I don't know that one. So I'll take a I'll take
1: a 75%. <laughs> Let me give you one more Summer Creek.
0: Oh, that's uh, with McDonald. They were just on TV last night with football.
1: Jacket right here. Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Bulldogs.
0: It doesn't say bulldogs on your jacket. Make sure that's noted. Bulldogs. Hell, I should know we
1: did the turf on their field, and it says bulldogs. Nice. Okay. Same scenario. You're a contestant on Jeopardy, and as you enter final Jeopardy, all three contestants are tied at $10,000. The final Jeopardy category is Heisman Trophy winners. How much are you wagering?
0: I would have to know my contestants and gauge Mm. their background. Okay. Okay. You're okay. So Give me my other two guys. Your other
1: two guys are Auburn Higgins. Okay. Kimberly Rosnowski.
0: Okay. Um, I should still be better than both of them at this one. So I'm going to say 7,500.
1: Okay. Final Jeopardy question is... I'm going to have to lose it. Name three non-quarterbacks to win a Heisman Trophy.
0: Non-quarterbacks? Yes, sir. Charles Woodson, Earl Campbell. I don't know if Reggie Bush counts anymore since he had, <laughs> to, he had to give his back. <laughs> that's an asterisk uh, for sure. But uh, the Charles Woodson's one I always appreciated because he was on defense. I thought that was always
1: that's, still the, the that's, coolest, right.
0: that's the coolest one that ever happened. Than uh, the kid last year from Alabama, the wide receiver. Who is? He Plays for the Eagles. Damn it. I mm, can't think of his name.
1: There are more. To, there are more to There's choose more. from.
0: How many, how many do I have to name? Three or five? Three. Okay. So I have Charles Woodson, Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams. There you go. Ricky Williams, who I've met a couple times. Uh, good dude. Um, oh uh, Sims from Oklahoma.
1: Okay, now you're just showing off. But you, you could have gone Bo Jackson, Eddie George, oh, absolutely. Ron Dane Desmond Howard, Devonte Smith. Yeah, Devonte Smith, the guy yeah. that you forgot. I knew it was Smith. I couldn't think. Of, yeah, yeah. But that's impressive. Yep. So you think you'd win? I think you'd win. I don't think
0: either one of them would have wagered very much. So even if they got it, I think I'd have beat them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. What is the award given to the best quarterback in college football? Davy O'Brien. Did Davy O'Brien ever win the Heisman Trophy? No. Yes, he did. I did not know that. 1938. I thought
0: there's another award that it's named that didn't win it. the The receiver. What's the receiver's award?
1: Belichick. There you go. He didn't win his own award though. Where did, Dave, where did Davey? Where did Davy O'Brien go to school? In your favorite state? I want to say it. W-
0: no, that's that's
1: Lane. SMU, TCU. Jeez, damn it! A guy named Doak Walker yep. also won the Heisman Trophy.
0: He was SMU. Yeah.
1: Where did he attend school? Yep. SMU. He was SMU. That's you right. Got to mix it up. Okay, situational question. Game okay. seven of the ALCS at home in Houston against the Oakland Athletics. It's the bottom of the ninth. Nobody out. Score is four to two. You're facing their closer. You're losing, by the way. Okay. Alex Bregman leads off with a triple to center field. Jose Altuve comes up next. Takes the first pitch. From the angle the television camera was giving us, (laughs) it looked like a strike, but um, the ball, I mean, it looked like it was right down the cock, but to Blue's credit, he looked at it and said, no, ball up, you know, it was 18 inches off the ground, so it was high. Next pitch, off speed, Altuve rolls over at the third base, but the third baseman, he's concerned about holding Bregman for some stupid reason. Gives him a look. Well, by the time he gets the ball out of his glove and throws it to first, Altuve is safe. Mm -hmm. Official scorer, meanwhile, calls it an error. Maybe he was from the Bay Area. I don't know. (laughs) He's still pissed that Gruden got canned for writing emails to his co-workers. (laughs) So you still got Bregman on third. Altuve is now on first. Who proceeds to on the next pitch steal second base, okay. which the official scorer from the Bay Area calls pitchers indifference. So he doesn't get the stolen base. But he's right. on second. So Ty runs on second. Yes, sir. Okay. Right. Still nobody out. Okay. Next up, Carlos Correa. Okay. What does he do? He lines out to the shortstop. No help. So now you got second and third. You're still down two runs. You got one out. Martin Maldonado is at the plate, and you've got Jake Myers on the bench. Okay. What are you doing? What's your decision, coach? Tell me what you're going to do.
0: So, we haven't burned our second catcher, correct? That's correct. Our second catcher's there. Yeah, he's being pinch hit for. Okay. And this is going to be a pretty common theme possibly in this series coming up with them also. So, you pinch hit for him for two different reasons not just for the hit tool, but the run tool. Maldonado would be potentially your winning run. Right. So, let's say he gets a base hit to tie the game you're going to end up pinch hitting for him or pinch running for him anyway right so prior to that you know your chances of a guy that's batting 192 on the season of getting the hit versus Myers are not even close so you take Myers because the hit tool and the run tool so if he hits a ball on the ground there's also as much of a chance of him beating it out or causing the infield to make a bad play as opposed to Maldonado who he had at his best god love him sprinting like Jake Taylor in major league to first he ain't getting there, you know? So he gets, he's got more tools that could allow him to be on base. Plus he becomes your winning run with more legs.
1: That's why I had him on folks. (laughs) This question comes courtesy of coach Brent McDonald. Would you rather win a national title or a gold medal?
0: I tell you what, the national title is the, is the obvious intriguing one. But when I've seen the times where I'm just speaking from like a baseball terms, when our team has won, the, when USA has won the gold medal, I think that's got to be the top of the top of the top. I mean, that's your country's being represented, and not to go into to that side of things from a political standpoint right now. But bottom line is, it's a representation of your com- of, of your country, and the opportunities to do that are much less. So it's not on the same. Yearly deal that you would have with with being involved with the national championship, although those are rare as, as well, obviously. So I would take the gold medal because I think it's a bigger deal for a hundred years from now. Somebody look back and say the guy won a gold medal versus the guy won a national championship.
1: Good answer. Before I let you go, do you have any questions you've been dying to ask your not so humble host?
0: <laughs> I I would say this. Uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm going to give you. Not much much a question, but it's maybe just a really cool thing that I remember. The year we coached together, you coached third. And there was a time in one of the games, I don't remember who we were playing or what it was, and we had somebody on first and third, and I don't remember how many outs there were, but whoever was at first, I really wanted them to steal. And... Don't remember what the context of the game was, but I had given you a sign on the side of my leg doing something to steal or something like that, and you never gave the guy the the steal sign. And so when you came in, you said, I didn't feel good about it. My first reaction was, I'm the head coach, dude. I wanted to steal him. But then I sat there and I stopped and I said, you know, that guy stole a lot more bases for me, and if there's a reason why he didn't want to do it right there – I trust him to make that decision. And I I thought that was always a a really interesting 15 seconds worth of probably nothing important in the grand scheme of things, but maybe it was because it showed your thought process on something of somebody that had well more experience of that than me. Anytime I got a still sign was probably the coach making an error and giving me the actual signs. But I, but it it was something that kind of goes back into the other things that we talked about in that looking around at maybe who may know something better than you, whether they're technically working for you or with you or whatever, being able to recognize that, I think, is a very big deal. There's things in our industry from the flooring side that, that um, other people flat out know more about, guys within our company. And if a cu- customer comes to us, I want them to go to that person that knows more. Just because I'm the one that's supposedly in charge doesn't mean that I've got the best answer. That's a bigger deal for a lot of people that are in leadership roles right now. You don't have to micromanage everything. You don't have to be in everybody's rear end about everything as long as you trust the things that are going on around you. And that was just one of those deals where it kind of caught me and I turned off my hothead for a second of being pissed that we didn't run a guy and said there had to be been a reason. That's it. So I think that's something that you can maybe relate to other things about communication with, with, you know, people you're working with and trusting guys to know to know more and giving the right guys the rope, giving the right guys the trust, all that kind of stuff.
1: Absolutely. And I love that story. The fact that you remember stories that <laughs> I don't, I can't tell you how impressed I am. That was have that, you noticed how many guys don't remember shit that you remember? Everybody like makes fun yesterday. of me for that
0: kind of stuff. Like, you know, me and Jamie talk you know, we talk quite a bit and and, and I know we were J.B. Bubella. Bubella, yeah. I, we were down at, at their family land down there in Garwood. I don't remember if it was – I don't know. We're, we'd go down there a bunch and take the kids and everything. And so we were talking about something. And somebody asked, asked something about what we had done at one point. And he goes, hell, I don't know. Ask her. He probably remembers. <laughs> and uh, But I just – I mean, like I say, I think on, on, uh, on the grand scale of things, I, I, I hope that my interaction with you as a player that was younger was positive. I know we didn't always do the things we probably were supposed to do off the field all the time, but I know <laughs> we had a good time doing some of it. Um, but but I think that's it, I, I was always very thankful for uh, for teammates like, like y'all from the younger side because two reasons. One, y'all earned our trust by working hard. But then also I knew that I had a brother coming that y'all were going to be interacting with, and I thought it was good to kind of start that movement of transfer of information tradition whatever you want to call it maybe it's corny whatever but I thought that was a big deal moving down and then when I got to college guys were doing that where I was the beneficiary and
1: that was a really big deal you know well that's something I've never considered and the fact that you had younger brothers made you a better bigger brother to us and that's something I always appreciated I appreciate and that. you've expressed to me just in the story that you told me how much humility you have and how much respect you have. And and I had been at a, another high school where the hierarchies are different. And I don't know if you want to call it a hierarchy, but there's this reverence for older people where you can't even speak your mind. Like you're right. not even worthy right. of being heard. Right. And I never felt that way at Cy Falls. As a freshman, as a sophomore, guys like you and Rutherford, you guys treated me like a man, like one of you guys. And I got a lot from that and I matured a lot from that. And it made me a better person and a better player and eventually a better leader. And so I just man, I thank you for everything you've done for me. You always you took me under your wing and we're birthday buddies forever. (laughs) That's not ending. That's that's, that's, we'll I think, I that think that,
0: that's uh, the coolest thing about that is some of the, as your travels have taken you to different places where some of those text messages have actually taken place. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> even better. Mine's usually coming to you from a ballpark somewhere right. being where we're, we're normally at. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that we've been in, and Houston, in Uzbekistan And I'm in Uzbekistan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're taking care of foreign relations. I'm trying to deal with umpires. So, that's and funny. parents. <laughs> so when I go back and listen to these for major edits after the fact, sometimes I regret not, telling the guys that i love that i love them so i want to tell you that i love you buddy and thank you for coming on the podcast
0: beyond more than what i thought it was gonna be this was awesome so thank Thank you you, for everything man this is this is legit
1: thank you